And welcome to Talk to Talk. I am Buzz Eisenberg. Bill Newman is off, and it is Monday. And here at 9 o'clock, we have a special treat. We have Megan Zinn. <laughs> Earlier. Megan bringing in somebody with her. We're going to talk about a debut no novel, which is a pretty exciting thing to talk about. It is. It's very exciting. Um, so my, my guest is Western Mass-based writer and editor Megan Tatey, whose debut novel is Super Bloom, which came out in May of this year. And it's particularly apropos to talk to Megan this week because Super Bloom is a perfect beach read. And for all of you heading out on vacation this month, which is like everybody in the Pioneer Valley, I think, um, take it with you. Um, and um, Megan doesn't have any upcoming Western Mass events, but she will be appearing at the Barnes & Noble in Hyannis on Saturday, August 12th from noon to 2, and the Ocean House Author Series on Wednesday, August 23rd from 5 to 7 at Ocean House in Watch Hill, Rhode Island. So if you are going on vacation in that direction, Go find her. Um, info can I, on their can website. I come with you, Megan? Go you ahead. Can. Yes. Those are yes. two that nice sounds, places. That sounds great places. So welcome, Megan. <laughs> Thank you talking. so much for having me. This is so great. Well, so you're so welcome here. Um, so tell us about Superbloom. What what is the what is it about? So Superbloom is about a massage therapist who works at a luxury spa in Vermont, and she's grieving the loss of her love, and she's about to get fired from her job. Uh, but she's got one chance to save her job, and that's to get a glowing review view from the most demanding client, famous romance novelist Carmen Bronze. Mm -hmm. Carmen breezes into town, the massage goes haywire, and basically Carmen uh, backs Joan into a corner um, saying, give me all the dirt about this spa. I want to set my next bestseller here. And along the way, Joan begins to wonder if she should write that story instead. Right. Yeah. Right. So we read us a little bit from it, if, okay. you, if you will. Okay, that sounds great. Um, I'm going to bleep myself, yes. <laughs> just letting everyone know. Um, this is Thank chapter you, one. Megan. You're welcome. I even wrote bleep, just to remind myself. I harbor a secret fantasy to go ape bleep at work. Maybe today's the day. My shift is over, and I'm waiting at the reception desk at the Apex Inn and Spa to get my bookings for tomorrow. It's been a doozy. One rude client took a phone call mid-massage, gabbing about who's getting the Hamptons house and her divorce. Another client kept calling me sweetheart. Heather, the receptionist, is on the phone, forcing me to linger in the spa's tunnel of consumption. Avocado lotions, chanting bowls, detox teas, ear candles. It's like Gandhi said, renounce and enjoy all these products. And anger boils up in me that no amount of essential oil sniffing can temper. <clears throat> and once again, I think, ape bleep? First, I'd up in the stacks of bright white towels that appear in my nightmares, a never-ending chore. Then I'd stand outside the wellness room, and I'd boo at all the yogis who practice a form of spiritual development that includes pretending to lose their complimentary slippers so they can bring home the extra pair. All the while, I'd swing two, st two strings of mala beads at anyone who tried to stop me, a pair of holistic nunchucks. Thank you. My guest is Megan Tatey. And as, I, as you've all gathered, um, it's a comic novel as it well. Is. It's uh, very funny, and um, it, that, that shows in the first couple of paragraphs. So tell us um, what sparked the idea for Superbloom. You're not a massage therapist, correct? No, I'm not. Um, I'm a writer and an editor, and I've been running my own business, Wordlift, for about 15 years. And my whole uh, background is in journalism mm -hmm, and writing, mm -hmm. and I've written from a young age. Um, 
But I, I hadn't really dabbled in fiction until about eight or nine years ago. And eight years ago, my husband took me on a surprise trip to Ooh. Vermont to a spa nice. for my birthday. And I was getting a massage from the world's grumpiest body worker. <laughs> and the whole time, my face was in the face cradle. And I was wondering, you know, what is going on with her? What's her story? Um, because of my journalism background, I want to basically interview everyone I meet. Mm -hmm. And all these questions were rattling through my brain. You know, what's it like to work here? What is this profession really like? Is she brokenhearted? You know, things that are just inappropriate to ask as she flips me over. Um, <laughs> so I left there not with a great massage, but with this novel idea flooding through my head. And I just started working on it from there. Was she throwing holistic nunchucks? <laughs> she <in> wasn't, <laughs> but she might when she realizes this is based on her. Oh, good, oh good, goodness. Um, and tell us about the title. What is a super bloom? Yeah, so a super bloom is a beautiful phenomenon that happens in nature where wildflower seeds lie dormant in deserts for years and they're they're sort of withstanding the harshest conditions waiting for the right amount of rain the right amount of heat to to happen and once it does they just bloom so much you can see them from space. And I was really spinning my gears with this novel, I think, in 2019. Mm -hmm. And I came home from grocery shopping, turned on NPR, and heard a story about super blooms, and I had never heard of them. Mm -hmm. And I went running to my computer and looked them up, and I saw these beautiful images. And I realized that that was the metaphor for my character um, and the through line, that she had this, you know, uh, coil of potential inside of her waiting to bloom. And I just instantly knew that was the title for the book. It's a really beautiful me metaphor. Um, and um, my guest is Megan Tatey. And um, so Super Bloom is, uh, is really a book within a book. Yes. Um, we, we get to read snippets of the romance novel, actually pretty extensive snippets of the romance novel that um, Joan ends up writing. Um, and you, you could have talked about the book Joan is writing without actually providing large sections of it. What, what particular challenges are there to writing essentially two books in one? That's a great question. And for a, a long time, I did just have Joan mm -hmm. telling what she was writing. And I took those pages to my writing group, a group of women I really respect, and they came back and said, this is boring. <laughs> we don't want to read what, you know, we don't want, you know, don't tell us, show us what she's mm -hmm. writing. And I, I just, I knew I would be up against a lot because you're basically trying to hook people into a whole new narrative, right. new characters. I had to write in a slightly different romance vein that yeah. I was new to. Um, and I kind of threw a little bit of a fit. You know, I was like, I just, <laughs> I I'm so petulant. I can't do it. Um, but I went back to my computer and started playing around. And I'm so glad I did it. It, it was a really perfect entry point And it allowed me to basically avoid backstory about mm -hmm. Joan's boyfriend, Samuel, who you know dies right away. It's not yeah, a spoiler. Yeah. And rather than getting steeped in all these old you know, back flashes, I could take things about him and give him to this like fake, fun romance character and keep the story moving and give it momentum. Yeah, that's really smart because that's a very often that kind of thing really can um, drag down a book or a movie where you're just too, giving giving too much backstory um, and just kind of saying it without yes. showing it. So yes. it is kind of the perfect way of showing without saying. There's um, actually a third book, right? Which is what the usurping publisher would have written. 
Yes. Yes. We have a little bit of that. Yes. Yes. And and the book that Carmen Bronze is trying to write, right, you know, right, the romance right. novelist is trying to write. And um <laughs> and she, you know, Joan is very much um she had a, she loved writing and words from a young age similar to me, but had that confidence sort of tap, mm-hmm. tamped down. And Carmen is like, of course I'm a writer. I've been writing for years. I call myself a writer. I'm not waiting for anyone to dub me with that title. She's also bored with the profession, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, everyone's scared of her and she's lonely. So I I feel like when you're a writer, you kind of have both the ego and the self-doubt on either shoulder and they're both kind of playing that out on the page. Yeah. 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 You can definitely see that. Um, And what was, I imagine it's quite a challenge to basically write in two slightly different voices yes um because you can't have her romance novel sound exactly like the book that you're actually writing yes um how what, did you have a strategy to um make that happen clearly well when i first started making carmen a romance novelist it, at first i was doing it as a lark and i was like this will be so funny but it had been years since i'd read romance mm-hmm. i'm not a mm-hmm. romance novel uh, writer reader um and I made my way back to the genre, and I was so blown away <laughs> by how hard it is to write it, mm-hmm. um, how feminist the genre is mm-hmm. now, yeah. innovative, yeah. the things yeah. people are doing, how it props up publishing. So I, first of all, had to reapproach that character. And even as there are moments we're having fun with the genre, I'm not poking fun at yeah, it. Yeah, you're not. Yeah. yeah. So I wanted to make that really clear. And I just did a lot of reading to make sure I could find that voice for Joan, that's slightly different than my own voice, even as there's a, a budding romance for Joan in yes. Super Bloom. So yeah. it was tricky. Many you know, layers. it's yeah, it's a you know, I keep hearing I read it in a day, and it's hard to write a book you can read in a day. It it <laughs> is tricky. <laughs> it is really, really hard. It's, that it keeps the momentum going so that you want to keep reading. My guest is Megan Tady, um, and she is the author of Super Bloom. And um and I'm glad you went back and did did that romance. Re- I'm a big romance reader and I I know that the, the genre changes like every three years, let alone how different it is from the 90s or the 80s or the 70s, which it was a completely different and somewhat alarming genre sometimes. Yes. Um, so um, I think it's getting ready to take a break, but we'll be back with um, Megan Tady um, and her book, Super Bloom. This is during the break. You can go get a massage. We'll be right exactly. back. Exactly. <laughs> when the roses are in bloom a soldier and his sweetheart brave and true and their hearts are filled with sorrow more talk the talk with bill newman and buzz eisenberg coming up right here on whmp come on over to the co-op the greenfield cooperative bank Hi, I'm Missy Tatro, Vice President of Mortgage Originations at Greenfield Cooperative Bank. Did you know now is the perfect time to save on your mortgage? I'm mortgage originator Kimberly Gates. That's right. At Greenfield Co-op, it pays to get pre-approved. I'm mortgage originator Jessica Eau Claire. If you're looking to buy a home, be sure to get a GCB pre-approval to save up to $1,250 on your mortgage closing costs. So apply online or come see us in person and receive a $750 closing credit plus an additional $500 when we pre-approve you. 
close by September 30th, be a new first mortgage customer or refinance from another loan provider, minimum $100,000 loan amount, subject to change or end without notice. Other conditions apply. See bank for details. Greenfield Cooperative Bank is an equal housing lender, member FDIC, member DIF. You can count on your friends at the co-op iPads, MacBooks, Sonos speakers, tax-free. Tax-free weekend is this weekend. Yes Computers is ready now. Upgrade your home office. A new Mac, a new printer? Get ready for back to school with cases, covers, bags, even Apple Watches. Call Yes Computers to place your pre-order now and pick it up on tax-free weekend. No lines, no hassle, no taxes. Yes Computers in downtown Northampton. Shop local and independent this tax-free weekend at Yes Computers, your local Apple specialists. YesComputers.com. Yes Computers. Did you know that you can prevent domestic and sexual violence? You can say something. We all can say something. Together, we can do so much. Say Something is the domestic and sexual violence prevention program at Safe Passage. Join a prevention lab to build your skills and find opportunities to say something to prevent violence. Join us and help make your community safe and healthy for everyone. Get more information or sign up for a prevention lab at saysomethingnow.org. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And of course, writer's block with Megan Zinn. We're not talking about a writer's block here. We're no. talking with Megan Tatey, and her debut novel is Super Bloom. And that's really interesting, I think, that it's a debut it's novel. A debut by novel. A local artist. Yeah. Um, so tell us about the, pr- I mean, the process of um, getting it published and how, I mean, that must have been exciting the, mo- the moment you found out that you had a publisher, and et cetera. Um, what if you could do sort of a brief overview of like the process and then the emotions involved oh in that? Oh my gosh. Well, this book took eight years. Yeah. Well, and um, not that I was working on it for eight years, but the idea, you know, being in that spot is sort of sitting here today. And I had a lot of, um, you know, I wrote it in, in a year and queried agents thinking I was going to be some agent's unicorn and they were going to burn. <laughs> out of their room and be like, I found her. <laughs> and I heard... And I'm going to steal her story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I heard nothing from no one, which was quite loud and very humbling. And I realized I had to learn how to write fiction. Um, I didn't I didn't really know. I don't have my MFA. Mm-hmm. And um, I had to study fiction in a different way and really buckled down over the years and had moments where I considered, you know, I learned that a lot of writers have a novel in a drawer or two or four and for a while wondered if this was mine and um it I had a lot of rejection a lot of tears you know my family my kids seeing that and when it finally all came together the agent and the offer came together in one week wow. um it was you know I I was just over the moon it was the best week <laughs> pretty much ever yeah <laughs> Don't tell your children about that. Oh, the, yeah. Oh, that's birth. true. That was probably pretty that's good. True, that's true. That's uh, true. That, that's amazing. And uh, and when did that happen? Gosh, that happened, um, I think it was 2022. It oh, wasn't right. that long ago. They mm-hmm. fast. This was um, on yeah. a fast track because yeah. it was in really good shape by the time they got oh, it. Nice. I nice. had been working yeah. on it. But then they said, this is one round of light edits, which ended <laughs> up being a very intensive uh, sort of three-month period of working on it. And I've been um, promoting it since May, mm-hmm. and 
I've been to LA and Vermont nice. and you know New York and bopping all around, and it's been both fun and a totally different muscle to be bet. a shy writer working mm-hmm. by myself that no one knows about this book to suddenly you know go doing readings and and chatting about it. So yeah, I've yeah. learned a lot. Yeah, and I think it's really hard for a lot of writers because it's not necessarily natural to writers to talk no. publicly about their work. And speaking of public, talking publicly about your work, um, uh, Megan Tatey will be at Barnes & Noble in Hyannis on Saturday, August 12th, this, this coming Saturday, from noon to 12, and then at the Ocean House Author Series in with um, several great writers um, at Ocean House in Watch Hill, Rhode Island on Wednesday, August 23rd, 5 to 7. There's stuff on their websites. If you've never been to Watch Hill, it is a beautiful I beach. I bet, I bet, and I'm I'm sure there are some people listening who are heading there on vacation very yes. soon, and, and and this would be a perfect book for them to read on the beach and then go to the um, go to the event. Megan Tatey, I'm looking at the illustration on the cover, which is uh, yeah, it's an illustration of a a woman with cucumber mm-hmm. slices on her eyes. I yes. assume that's part of that massage and a very cartoony style. Yes, yes, um, and just sort of shows that Jones a little bit. Um, disgruntled with her work at the spa and also that you know that you're in for a bit of a comedic romp <laughs> hopefully it definitely gives it definitely um implies that and this is a fairly new publisher is that yes. correct yes Tell us about that yeah so the publisher is zibby books mm-hmm. and i had been watching zibby owens who started it she started a podcast a few years ago and became quickly a major book influencer in new york and started her publishing house and I love that they feature one author a month. That's all they publish, 12 books a year. So you are the lead title for that oh, month. Nice. And all their resources and attention go to you. That's beautiful. Um, and she has an amazing staff of, of writers and, I mean, editors and, and um, publicists. It's, it's awesome. And all the other writers, we have a really lovely camaraderie mm-hmm. and are mm-hmm. rooting for each other. And I'm, I've been having an amazing experience. That's fantastic. I love hearing that about, um, about a publisher because it's not always, always the best experiences for everybody. Um, and also, you know, getting back into the book with, uh, I don't think this gives anything away, but with Joan, you've created a character who isn't always sympathetic. Uh, she can be self-centered and yes. she can uh, be really oblivious to what's going on with her friends. And she makes questionable decisions, she does. shall we say. Um, what do you think is key to creating a character who is flawed, but yes. still somebody we care about and root for? When I first was uh, giving these pages to beta readers to mm-hmm. read, I had a lot of feedback that she was unlikable. Uh, and at first mm-hmm. I bristled at that mm-hmm. as a woman. Mm-hmm. Like, I doesn't feel like a, a male character would get that sort of feedback. Yeah. But I kept hearing it. So I had to make some key changes in the beginning of the book where you see Joan. She's at the she's at the worst time of her life. And you get a glimpse of her sort of crotchetiness, her grumpiness, her sarcasm. But there are s- very specific lines that show she doesn't like herself that way. Yeah. She wants to get back to a different place. She just doesn't know how. Mm-hmm. So the reader knows that they're not in for pages and pages of this, you know, sullenness that you're going to be um, sort of in for a transformation ride with her. And, you know, that was just really very um, pivotal, I think, in those early pages. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's a good 
strategy to 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 walk that line, to thread that needle. Um, and she also comes by it honestly. She's had some bad stuff happen yes. to her, um, and you know, you it, it, it she doesn't come off as. Um, too self-indulgent like that that's this is somebody without any cares in the world who is grumpy that's certainly right. not the case right yeah she's lost the you know the love of her life only six months into their relationship right. and I wanted to explore what it's like to lose someone so early in what feels like an epic love story they're just you know they knew in, instantly they see their whole lives rolling out and they're just so pumped to be together and he dies and how you know what do you do with all yeah. those new love emotions when you're left holding the bag of them mm -hmm. and no one else you haven't really let other people in, so no one else knows or can validate your story. Right. You don't have the status of being a widow, mm -hmm. a fiance, a longtime girlfriend. Family members don't know her. So it's a double whammy mm -hmm. of the loss of him and sort of the loss of their story, yeah. which would give me the sort of in for allowing her to then write the story write she story. wishes she'd had. Yeah, which I yeah. think is a beautiful, um, beautiful way of, of addressing um, her real devastation. Um, I also wanted to ask, you know, you mentioned that um, you, you, were, you used to be a journalist, and um, one way that shows up is that you tend to interview, and you, you meet anybody and you want to interview them. Yeah. Um, how else does, does, if, does being a journalist affect your fiction, and, and, and in what other ways do you find it coming up? Yeah, so I interviewed a lot of body workers for this uh, book to find out what the job is really like, and people who work in spas or work for themselves or work in you know the franchises, and I wanted to really um, give that some authenticity. Mm -hmm. And I'm working on my second novel now, which is about alpine ski racing champions, ah, wow. uh, former Olympians, mm -hmm. and I've been interviewing you know former Olympic athletes and elite athletes and what it's like to be done with that job at yeah. 30 and reinvent yourself and some of the depression that comes mm -hmm. with that. So I love um, going into something that I don't know anything about mm -hmm. and, and really learning it and being like, tell me all the, tell me funny stories, you know, weird things that happened, stuff we wouldn't think about when you're a massage therapist, right. just, you know, tell me everything. Mm -hmm. So it Give was really fun. Yeah. That is very, very fun. Um, I also wanted to ask, uh, I was watching an interview with you, and in your introduction, you talked about your, you mentioned your little library, and yes. it was important <laughs> enough to be sort of in your little short bio, so I want to hear more about your little library. Oh my gosh, my uh, family got me a little library in our front yard for Mother's Day, I think two years ago, mm -hmm. and... I love this thing, and I always say I'm stocking it. I don't mean like stocking it, like putting books mm -hmm. in it. I'm like stocking to see who's taking stuff and who's leaving books, and I'm constantly like tending to it like a garden. Um, I love sharing books. I love yeah. when I meet friends being like, oh, I, I know what you should read and pulling it off the shelf, and that's an extension of that. Mm -hmm. um, I also have to stop myself from taking all the books I can put in there and be like, no, no, I'll, just for, just the one. Um, I, I usually read about five books at a time peppered throughout the house. So um, it's a very fun thing for our family. Yeah. And those little libraries are wonderful. My husband likes to take um, extra books when he goes on a walk and, and he knows where they are and he drops them and sometimes he'll move one from one to another. Yes. So I'm like, it shouldn't be in this little library. It should be at that little library. So. Can you explain what a little library oh, yes. is? Um, tell us what a little library is. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it's a, it's a little... Um, 
little stand, I guess, that has free books in it for you to take and, and leave. Uh, people also leave bizarre things. Mm-hmm. Um, we just had a hockey helmet left well, in course. our little library. And my son came running in and said, there's a little helmet in there. And I imagined like a little helmet, but it was an actual, you know, kid very, size helmet. <laughs> very strange. Interesting comment. Um, and they're, they're all over Northampton. There's, yes, there's they quite are. a few in Northampton now. And well, I've seen the them all over too. the country. Yeah, them, I've seen yeah. them all over the place. We walk in the village and there's a little library. library. Yeah, they're wonderful. So my guess And the best admonition was, this book is not an orphan. Please don't adopt it. Oh, right, right. <laughs> pass it along. Feed it, read it and That's then pass true. it along. So my guest has been Megan Tady, and this has been a delight. We've been talking about her book, Super Bloom, which um, came out in May. Um, and Megan is a, uh, a local writer, adding to the pantheon of great Western Mass writers. Um, and, um, and she'll be, just to repeat, she'll be um, appearing in... Uh, at the Barnes and Nobles in Hyannis on Saturday, August twelfth, um, and a book signing from noon to two, and then at the Ocean House Author Series on Wednesday, August twenty third, from five to seven at Ocean at Ocean House in Watch Hill, Rhode Island. And uh, thank you for being here, Megan. This was great. Thank you so much. Dan, wasn't it a pleasure to have two Megans in the studio at once? We'll be right back. Listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The Holyoke Police Department is investigating after a body was found in the area of Muller Bridge yesterday afternoon. The Holyoke Fire Department was called to the bridge after receiving reports of a body being found in the area. No further information has been released at this time. Universal free school meals in all Massachusetts K-12 schools, the option for debt-free higher education, and $150 million to make university buildings more energy efficient are just some of the provisions that made it into the state budget, thanks to the Massachusetts Teachers Association. But the union isn't slowing down. Deb McCarthy, vice president of the MTA, says they're supporting a ballot measure to eliminate the requirement that high schoolers pass the MCAS in order to graduate. No longer will we be harming students who's had their high school diploma reduced to the tie-in of a one-time test score. The ballot measure needs to collect around 100,000 signatures to be on the November 2024 ballot. Northampton Mayor Gina Louise-Shera is addressing the increased mosquito population throughout Western Mass. The mayor says it's an unfortunate consequence of the rain and flooding from the past month. Due to potential of mosquito-borne diseases, the Pioneer Valley Mosquito Control District is trapping and testing the bugs to monitor them and alert the public if needed. To date, there have been 15 positive cases of West Nile virus in Massachusetts, with four positive mosquito samples in the Pioneer Valley and two in Hampshire County in South Hadley and Hadley. For today, mostly cloudy with showers and thunderstorms, high 74 to 78. Tonight, cloudy with more showers and storms likely, overnight lows 66 to 70. And the outlook for Tuesday, mostly cloudy, chance for more showers and thunderstorms, highs around 80. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP.
What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member Bill Newman. Local farmers are arriving at the co-op every day with summer berries, corn, tomatoes, and watermelon, and endless bounty. At the co-op seafood counter, little neck clams are rolling in. What goes better with corn and tomatoes than sweet, briny little necks? No time to cook today? The co-op makes pizza, sandwiches, burgers, sushi, and smoothies, and they make it all from scratch. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. This wasn't how Patrick pictured himself in retirement. Instead of playing golf every day, he could barely walk because of his severe knee pain. It hampered everything because it hurt to walk around the golf course. It hurt to swing, just pretty much hurt doing anything. But the groundbreaking regenerative treatments at QC Kinetics changed everything for Patrick. QC Kinetics uses your body's own healing properties to help repair and restore damaged tissue in your knees, hips, back, and shoulders. No surgery, no drugs, no downtime. The turnaround's been amazing from where I I was to where I am now. I'm gone from a 15 handicap down to a 7 handicap. That's because my knees allow me to play golf like I haven't been able to play probably in 15 years. Don't let joint pain keep you from doing what you love. Call QC Kinetics today for your complimentary consultation. Call QC Kinetics 413-992-5450. That's 413-992-5450. 413-992-5450. Whatever the season, something fun is happening at the Hitchcock Center for the Environment. From home energy efficiency workshops to birding classes and nature walks, we have hands-on activities happening all year long. Whether you're 2 or 92, the Hitchcock Center has an opportunity for you to connect with our natural world. Come visit us at our new location, the Hitchcock Center, 845 West Street in Amherst. For more information, visit hitchcockcenter.org. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. For a uh, century and a half, or I should say for millennia, um, uh, the human condition has included trying to figure out how to bridge the um, terrible um, divide between uh, the Palestinian people and uh, the Israelis, uh, the Jewish people, and it, that incessant, unrelenting problem. There's been so many approaches to it, but we are very fortunate today to have a, a person, a local person, um, who is uh, trying to do it through healing, through uh, medical care. He is Dr. Norbert Goldfield, a local internist, and he is also the executive director of Healing Across the Divides. He's the author of Peace Building Through Women's Health, Psychoanalytic, Socio-Psychological and Community Perspectives on the Israeli-Palestinian Conflict, which was published in 2021. And here to talk about Healing Divides is Dr. Goldfield. Hello, Norbert Goldfield. Thanks so much for having me, and uh, just a pleasure to be back on and to uh, to uh, talk with you. Well, thank you for being here. So um, you have, I have uh, recently read your director's newsletter um, from 2023. I guess I would just like to throw the question to you. Could you give us an update from your perspective, through your eyes, of the current situation we keep hearing about and reading about in Israel and in the Palestinian territories? 
So, uh, yes, the situation is uh, very challenging at best. Uh, since you read the director's newsletters, uh, there have been uh, a fair number of Palestinians who've been killed in the West Bank. Uh, uh, also, at least one Israeli Jew was, was killed recently in Tel Aviv. Uh, but the situation, certainly there are killings every week, uh, the vast majority of whom are Palestinian. And the question is, uh, is what to do. Um, and uh, this is in a setting of, uh, of a uh, very difficult time in the Israeli uh, political uh, uh, democracy, if you want to call it that, uh, because the Netanyahu government, who, and Netanyahu is the prime minister of Israel, is trying to get some laws passed that would essentially uh, eliminate the ability of the Supreme Court in Israel to review laws. Um, we might get into more details on that, but in essence, the way we respond as Healing Across the Divides, so our mission is to improve the health of marginalized Israelis and Palestinians through community-based efforts. And just yesterday, uh, myself and our Palestinian representative who's based on Ramallah in the West Bank, and our Israeli representative who's based in uh, near Tel Aviv in Israel, uh, we reviewed uh, over 75 applications for four grants that we will give out to community-based groups that are working on issues of uh, proposing to work on issues pertaining to gender-based violence, to diabetes. And so what we do is we fund and provide technical advice to community groups, some of whom work together, increasingly not because of the uh, difficulties that are on the ground. Uh, but our hope is that uh, we want to strengthen those groups. Uh, we want to uh, strengthen the leadership and that probably not in my lifetime, uh, but some of the leaders of these groups could be tomorrow's political leaders. But in the meantime, we've measurably improved the health already in our 19 years of existence of over 250,000 people on both sides. That is so interesting, Dr. Norbert Goldfield. It's an interesting approach. Quite often, uh, uh, this is not the first organization I or anybody else has ever heard of that tries to uh, bridge the uh, enormous gap um, and promote understanding between uh, Palestinians and, and Israelis. But yours is a, is a pretty interesting theory, I think, behind, behind what you've been doing for almost two decades, which is that through a recognition of the need for medical services, mental health services, um, uh, and, and the other kinds of things that you try to heal, literally physical healing, that you could actually do something to bridge that gap. How does that work in your mind, that that, that can be, that health care could be a vehicle to promote a better understanding between these two peoples? Well, through two ways. Number one is that health is very political. Uh, and we know that in this country also. I mean, you know, there are a lot of disparities in health uh, in the United States and, and uh, in my practice in Springfield, very much uh, aware of that. Um, so health is political, but one of the really nice things about doing this work is we talk about health, we talk about health, we talk about health, but we actually don't use the word politics at all. So that's the first point is that health is very political without getting into the uh, uh, the arguments immediately, the political arguments, uh, so we can focus on health and, and health improvement and through a variety of different ways, 
address these uh, disparities uh, that, that exist. And secondly, our theory of change is that we work, we don't provide any services directly. We work with already existing local groups. And that's the idea that these groups that are just amazing, they have not given up. That, that's the point to emphasize. They have simply have not given up. And of course, it's the leaders of these group, uh, groups that have not given, given up. You'd be amazed. We have an annual study tour and you would meet these, uh, the leaders of these groups and they are our future. They are the future in their own country. Um, so the idea is that health is political uh, uh, without using the word politics. And secondly, it's we do this directly with groups on the ground. I want to go back to they're not giving up. What do you mean by they are not giving up? Well, the, uh, that's a good, good question. Uh, so for myself, as an example, I'm committed to doing this work for the rest of my life. Uh, you know, and I've been doing this work in a variety of ways since 1980. Uh, and then there are people on the ground. Uh, the uh, people on the ground, and that's what you see with the the demonstrations that have been going now for more than 30 weeks against the uh, the uh, proposed law uh, that uh, Netanyahu, the prime minister, would like to have passed, and the first of which was was passed on July 24th. Uh, but people haven't given up. So where there are tens of thousands of people uh, who were demonstrating this past Saturday. Uh, against the law that was passed and against the, the future laws uh, that, that Netanyahu wants to have passed. Same thing here with these community groups. These, these uh, mostly women, uh, we, are, uh, and we particularly focus on uh, working with women because uh, as I taught, when I taught at UMass in, in healthcare, women are the most discriminated against people in the world. But if you empower women, you empower the whole family. Uh, and that's uh, so we work primarily through women and uh, they have they haven't given up uh, because in some ways they have no choice. But in always it's in some ways it's the the leaders of these groups. They rise to the top. Uh, they're uh, they're at all ages. Uh, we work with people in their women in their 20s, women in their 60s. Uh, they've had all sorts of amazing stories in their in their uh, their lives and they haven't given up. Uh, Norbert Goldfield, uh, Bill Newman just told us uh, the most wonderful little tiny quote. He said he was uh, taking care of his five-year-old granddaughter, and she asked him the following question. Can boys be doctors too? <laughs> <laughs> Which had, does add some hope to, uh, to <laughs> what you're talking about. You know, there's another divide that we hear. And I, I want to, uh, I mean, I want to focus on Israel and the Palestinian territories, but I also want to bring it home here in the United States. One major divide here is those who at first, I think the term was first coined uh, when Medicare was uh, created, and Bernie Sanders sort of made it uh, more commonplace to hear when he, his first run at the presidency, and he said health care is a right. It's not just a privilege. It seems to me your approach involves that divide as well that we keep hearing in this country, which is, is healthcare for you and uh, for um, uh, healing across the divide? It, is the fact that healthcare should be considered a right an important part of what you do? From my perspective, the answer is absolutely yes. I mean, that's a big issue in the United States, you know, as, as we all know. In Massachusetts, which still there is many disparities, but we have, you know, very few uninsured 
totally uninsured, but with still a significant barriers. That's, of course, very different from Florida, uh, for example, where DeSantis is running for president, uh, where more than 15% of the people aren't insured. In Israel, uh, uh, there is uh, universal health care coverage. But again, there is a significant uh, disparity between uh, Palestinians or Arabs who, Arabs who live in Israel uh, and Jews who live in Israel in terms of the access to medical care. But in theory, there's universal coverage. In the West Bank and Gaza, there is no such. Uh, and uh, there's really no health system. It, uh, it's a, uh, there are essentially competing health systems uh, that, uh, that are many that uh, people do not have rights to. Well, I really want to dig a little bit deeper there to see what you think, um, Dr. Goldfield, because um, the notion of why should health care be considered a right? That is, government has certain functions, protect us from being invaded or, or whatever those functions may be. Why should health care be as guaranteed as the right to believe in the faith of your choice or the uh, freedom to speak? Um, that which you wish to, why should healthcare be such a right? So that's a good question. Uh, the, uh, I think there are two answers to that. The first is that we have police to protect the uh, common good, and that's considered to be a right, you know, police, fire, and so on and so forth. At a minimum, from a, uh, a perspective of public health, uh, as I'm sure many of the listeners know, the United States performed the worst the worst of any country, any industrialized country, uh, with respect to the pandemic. And that's because public health, unlike in Europe, uh, uh, on that public health is considered to be a basic function of society, just like police and fire is a basic function of society. Uh, so at a minimum, uh, we fail on what I think many people, but not all for sure, uh, considering what's going on in some of the red states in the United uh, in in the United States, that public health is is a basic right. Now, with respect to uh, uh, with respect to uh, uh, basic services such as access to blood pressure medication, so I have a patient right now uh, who was told in the emergency room 25 years ago that she had uh, she had to get her blood pressure treated otherwise she'd have a stroke. She didn't have the money, had a stroke. She now has health insurance and she's disabled for the rest of her life. So I would make the argument that, uh, that it's for the common good in terms of saving money, if nothing else, not just for the common good in terms of health, which is what I subscribe to, but at least in terms of the common goods, uh, saving money, which is why, for example, we have Medicare, uh, uh, which we will never uh, uh, retract from, uh, uh, you know, even though it's under attack these days, uh, that was passed in 65. So Medicare is considered to be a right. Well, Executive Director Norbert Goldfield, in terms of the organization which of which you're Executive Director, Healing Across the Divides, so it aims to improve the health of all Palestinians and of Israelis by bringing these groups together. They are activists, they are patients, and uh, Healing Across the Divides uh, attempts to have them engage in an exchange of ideas and to work together other than the health, obviously you've, you've brought incredible amount of health benefits to folks as a result of your efforts over these uh, two decades. But 
what what about in terms of actually crossing bridging the divide that is getting the less animosity between individuals that you've encountered through the work of healing across the divide have you seen any strides have you made any strides at the end of the day in, the, in terms of the big picture the answer is no uh and i'm always very transparent uh that's why it's amazing that these the leaders of these groups have not give, given up but the reality is and uh that since i started the work in 1980 and doing other types of work uh in israel and then eventually founding healing across the divides in 2004 the reality is the relationships uh and the situation between palestinians and israelis has only deteriorated that said that said the reality uh we received 75 applications for new grants uh, we have, we will fund four of them. That's what we can uh, financially are able to do, which is great. Four, four new grants is very going to be very much appreciated. And uh, what will happen is that uh, individuals will have their health measurably improved. The groups will become stronger. And then it's frankly up to Israelis and Palestinians, as far as I'm concerned, because the United States historically has not played a positive role in, in the conflict. In fact, it's played a negative role as far as I'm concerned. So it's going to be up to Israelis and Palestinians to resolve the issues. Now is not a good time. The reality is there's an extreme right-wing government in Israel. The leadership uh, in the, on the Palestinian side is weak, uh, and neither side is able and willing to come together. Uh, this is Dan. I have a question for you about uh, the Israeli situation that you just referenced. Um, from my understanding, uh, the judicial reforms passed the, the Knesset, the parliament in Israel, and now the Supreme Court of Israel will decide if that law is constitutional or not. But if it rules that it is unconstitutional, where does that leave the politics in Israel? The answer is we don't know, because the uh, ministers and the government have already said they're not sure they will they will obey the, any ruling, period. Um, so we have to just put it into context. What what's what is this all about? Number one, and this is a similarity in the, in the situation in the United States with, with Trump, is most importantly for Netanyahu, he needs to stay out of jail. This is the only way he can very likely stay out of jail is by having this reform passed. Uh, number two, uh, the law that was passed on July 24th that law was directed in part so that other criminals literally could become in uh, could come into the government and one in particular uh who is a leader of one of the religious parties uh, is not able to serve in the government now because he's been convicted three times already um and so the the issue there is is addressing the needs and desires of the religious parties which are in part to uh, to get their officials who've been uh, criminally convicted and secondly uh, to uh, to make sure that the ultra-Orthodox men do not have to serve anymore in the Israeli army. So that's the second thing. And what's going to happen, in part, uh, we, uh, we clearly, as I already said, we don't know. But in my mind, this is, of course, myself speaking, and I'm speaking on behalf of Healing Cross the Divides here, but it's going to be up to the Israeli military to decide. There have been hundreds of reservists who said that they are not going to go back into the army to uh, do fulfill their duty. It all depends, I think, in, in large significant measure, if the Israeli reservists for the pilots 
uh, and other uh, parts of the Israeli military decide truly not to show up, that could have a significant uh, impact uh, on the uh, government deciding whether or not they do uh, uh, support a, a Supreme Court ruling if, in fact, it is uh, uh, rules against the government. Significant, significant impact indeed. Um, I just want to read a quote from um, Dr. Goldfield's uh, most recent newsletter. He says, quote, the overarching situation is simply dismal and getting worse, both in Israel and particularly in the occupied Palestinian territories. Our challenge is how to respond. Our response, healing across the divides response, is to work with inspiring grantees, so 75 uh, applications that uh, Dr. Goldfield was just speaking of, um, and that that's an impactful way to make a change in this seemingly intractable divide. Um, the best way to do that is to support the ability of uh, Dr. Goldfield's organization, Healing Divides, plural divides, .org is where you can find out more about the organization, familiarize yourself with all it does and why it does it, and also make a donation on the donate button that you'll find there. That is one word, healing divides with an S at the end of divides.org. And we're going to be right back. When we come back, I'm going to ask about the study tour that Dr. Goldfield organizes. We'll be right back. Every child must be made aware. Every child must be This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Miss an episode of Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg? Want to hear the stories and perspectives of local business leaders? Click on podcasts at whmp.com. Talk the Talk, Western Mass Business Show, Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, The Hustler Files, Panorama, and more. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. The only live and local talk in the Valley for the Valley. WHMP.com. Mom, tell us about Tom Lake. A woman and her three daughters gather at the family's northern Michigan orchard where, while picking cherries, the daughters beg their mom to tell stories of the famous actor she long ago shared a stage and a romance with. Mom dishes, and the daughters soon find themselves examining their own lives, reconsidering the world and everything they thought they knew. Tom Lake, new from powerhouse author Ann Patchett. Pick up Tom Lake at Northampton's independent bookstore, Broadside Bookshop. Your expectations. What are your expectations for your new home addition? Construct Associates in Northampton can show families just like yours a world of possibilities. From antique to ultra-modern, kitchen and bath, additions, design and construction, residential and commercial, renovation and restoration. Construct Associates in Northampton and your imagination. Expanded and released by serious craftsmen doing quality work. Visit their website right now at constructassociates.com. Pets and people, they belong together. They help us feel calm and loved with every tail wag, kiss, and snuggle. Bacon Humane Society believes in this bond, and your support keeps people and pets together. You provide resources so animals with medical issues can get the care they need to find homes. Our pet food aid program lets people facing tough times feed and keep their pets because you care. Bacon's many programs and services help companion animals and the people who love them. To make a gift, visit DakinHumane.org. 
You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back with Dr. Norbert Goldfield. He's the executive director of Healing Across the Divides. And before the break, in the minute that we have left, doctor, could you explain what the study tour is that you're organizing? Thanks so much again for having me. Uh, but the bottom line on the study tour, which is March 17th to the 27th, 2024, it's an annual tour where you really get a feel, not just for the grantees, not, for the, not just for the wonderful food, but you get a sense of a dual narrative tour of getting a Palestinian and an Israeli who look at the same building, the same piece of plant and come up with two different stories. And so you get a real flavor of the challenges of trying to have a democracy work in, in a region where it's surrounded by literally totalitarian regimes. It's a beautiful area. It's a beautiful time of year. And I hope to see you then, but happy to respond to any questions. And it's been a pleasure having, uh, having me on. Well, well uh, thanks. I just wanted to ask you, how do people find out more about it if they're interested in participating in the study tour? As, as you said, divides with an S.org. There's a button there that you can check it out. It's really great. And uh, you say that that's March 17th to 27th of 2024. And my final very quick question, how could people donate and support your work and support your ability to help these grantees do their work? Get right on the website, healingdivides.org. There's a donate button. There's all sorts of information about the grantees and look forward to staying in touch. Thanks so much again for having me. Well, it's such an important thing. It's, it's a human story. It's about our condition, the way hatred rules, when in fact healing should rule. The organization is um, Healing Across the Divide. It is local with Dr. Norbert Goldfield, who's an internist at the Community Health Center down in Springfield. Thank you so much for joining us, doctor, and thank you so much for joining us, listeners. Remember, we don't just talk the talk. We try to walk the walk. Behold the gates of mercy in arbitrary space. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. It is critical that the investigation is not limited to federal violations of gender discrimination, but includes the alleged allegations of corruption, nepotism, abuse of power, and use of position to aid Ms. Cunningham's personal business. These allegations actually require an investigation by a different body than a Title IX investigator where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 1015 and 1400 WHMP, news, information, and the arts. The Literacy Project is the place to go if you are an adult looking to improve your reading, writing, and math skills, or if you want help preparing for the high school equivalency exam and preparing for college. To find out about our free classes in Franklin and Hampshire counties, check us out online at literacyproject.org or call us in Northampton at 413-584-6755. WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turner's Falls. WHMP.com, a Northampton radio group station. It's 10 o'clock. This is CBS News on the Hour, presented by Indeed.com. 
I'm Deborah Rodriguez, the last of four former Minneapolis police officers charged in George Floyd's murder, is headed to state court this hour for sentencing. Tu Tao is already serving a three-and-a-half-year term on a federal civil rights count. CBS Minnesota's Derek James. Tu Tao was found guilty on one count of aiding and abetting second-degree manslaughter. On May 25, 2020, Tao was one of the four officers at the scene of Floyd's detainment. While now ex-officer Derek Chauvin knelt on Floyd neck, Tao was stopping bystanders from intervening. He faces four additional years, which could be served concurrently. Former President Trump's lawyers are on deadline today to respond to a Justice Department effort to tamp down on what their client can say about the new federal election tampering case against him. Correspondent Willie James Inman. Trump's team has essentially pushed back over the weekend. They said that they needed more time than that 5 p.m. deadline. That was swiftly denied. Ukrainian intelligence officials say they foiled a plot to assassinate President Zelensky with the arrest of a Ukrainian woman who'd been collecting sensitive data. Correspondent Ramey Innocencio reports from Odessa. She was looking for the schedule for the president, uh, for the location of electronic warfare systems and ammunition depots. That informant, we understand, was detained, arrested after she uh, tried to pass on that intel to a handler. The NTSB is investigating after two helicopters fighting a wildfire in Riverside County, California, collided. The results were deadly. Cal Fire Southern Region Chief David Fulcher. The first helicopter was able to land safely nearby. Unfortunately, the second helicopter crashed and tragically all three members perished, which included one Cal Fire Division Chief, one Cal Fire Fire Captain, and one contract pilot. The nation's rising temperatures could lead to higher meat prices. CBS's Jim Crisula. It is is trimming the U.S. cattle herd, which is already near record lows. Hundreds of cattle died in the nation's heartland from extreme heat and humidity in July. Keeping them hydrated has also been a problem. David Trimmer oversees 1,100 head of cattle at a farm in Athens, Wisconsin. If a cow doesn't get enough water, again, she's going to start to not feel well. She'll get dehydrated, and uh, eventually it won't go well. One longtime cattleman in western Iowa says he's never seen such a large die-off of cows from heat and humidity. Jim Crisulis CBS News. The soup people are shelling out a lot of dough for some sauce. Fredo's homemade, delicious as sun-sweetened Italian tomatoes. Wall Street Journal says Campbell's is buying the brand that makes Rayo's pasta sauces and noose yogurt for about $2.7 billion. This is CBS News. Hire with minimal effort and max speed with Indeed. Their hiring solution platform helps you attract, interview, and hire candidates efficiently. Visit Indeed.com slash credit. Have you Googled yourself lately? Are there negative posts from an ex-employee or from a former client? Maybe an outdated news article or sensitive personal information about your family? Search engines don't always get it right. For right or wrong, it's your reputation on the line. That's where Reputation Defender by Norton comes in. One of the most trusted names in online reputation repair. Reputation Defender has been fixing people's search results for over 15 years. Their cutting-edge approaches help you to wipe away unwanted information in your search results. They also promote the good stuff so that it rises to the top, helping you put your best foot forward. Your good name is too valuable to leave to the whims of a Google algorithm. Take control with Reputation Defender. You can start by getting your free Reputation Report Card at reputationdefender.com or call 800-401-6681 to speak to an expert. That's 800-401-66. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler.
The Holyoke Police Department is investigating after a body was found in the area of Muller Bridge yesterday afternoon. The Holyoke Fire Department was called to the bridge after receiving reports of a body being found in the area. No further information has been released at this time. Universal free school meals in all Massachusetts K-12 schools, the option for debt-free higher education, and $150 million to make university buildings more energy efficient are just some of the provisions that made it into the state budget, thanks to the Massachusetts Teachers Association. But the union isn't slowing down. Deb McCarthy, vice president of the MTA, says they're supporting a ballot measure to eliminate the requirement that high schoolers pass the MCAS in order to graduate. No longer will we be harming students who's had their high school diploma reduced to the tie-in of a one-time test score. The ballot measure needs to collect around 100,000 signatures to be on the November 2024 ballot. Northampton Mayor Gina Louise Shera is addressing the increased mosquito population throughout Western Mass. The mayor says it's an unfortunate consequence of the rain and flooding from the past month. Due to potential of mosquito-borne diseases, the Pioneer Valley Mosquito Control District is trapping and testing the bugs to monitor them and alert the public if needed. To date, there have been 15 positive cases of West Nile virus in Massachusetts, with four positive mosquito samples in the Pioneer Valley and two in Hampshire County in South Hadley and Hadley. For today, mostly cloudy with showers and thunderstorms, high 74 to 78. Tonight, cloudy with more showers and storms likely, overnight lows 66 to 70. And the outlook for Tuesday, mostly cloudy, chance for more showers and thunderstorms, highs around 80. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. And welcome to Talk to Talk. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, this region is just filled with such remarkable talent. It always astonishes me. But uh, I don't have to be astonished when we're talking about uh, today's guest by Rich Michelson because for years I've known about his skill and the beauty of his work and about uh, there aren't that many plein air experts around here, but there are some. Rich Michelson, something special is happening on Friday at the Michelson Gallery. What is it? Well, Buzz, thank you, and we have a special guest today indeed. Uh, we have an opening this Friday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. We have a exhibit beginning by Bob Masla called Van Here and Now, Paintings Excuse in me. Oil and Watercolor. preface that with Ashfield, Ashfield's Ashfield, own Bob uh, Masler. Uh, yes, yes. Ashfield proudly claims Bob Masler uh, as uh, a native son. Uh, and we still get him most of the year when he's not in Mexico painting or, as this show will uh, show will prove where he's not all around the world painting, doing demonstrations, Vietnam. Uh, Bob, welcome. Thank you. So tell me a little bit here. I mean, I, I know, we'll tell your audience, okay? <laughs> uh, then and there. Okay, when, when we do our kind of annual or every two-year show of Bob's, um, basically he gets his month. I never know what, he, what it's going to be. <laughs> so talk to us how we came up with this particular show. Okay. Um, well, you know, this show is actually planned for 2020, but then... I came back from Mexico where I was teaching and painting, and COVID was in full bloom. So uh, I looked around, and the landscape literally had changed dramatically, uh, socially, politically, so many ways. And after about a month of, uh, first of all, painting winter scenes that I 
haven't painted in probably 18 years because I'm always in the winter down there. Um, I called Rich and Paul at the gallery and said, I think I want to change this show. Um, we pushed it back for obvious yeah. reasons. Uh, and I created this show, Gratitude, uh, the Unrecognized Essential Workers series. Uh, because, you know, we were be conscious of all the essential workers, but there's so many people in our society that are unrecognized. Yeah. And then there was all the political, the rise of fascism within our country, and the, those who were fighting for real democracy who were being threatened. Um, so I did a whole series on that, and that's what we ended up showing in November. So this got pushed back, um, and it was supposed to be... Plain air and studio work inspired by both Ashfield and the surrounding area of New England, can as you, well as can my you travels. Just explain uh, plain air. What is plain air? Okay, plain air. It's a French word, but it just basically means painting outdoors. Okay, you know, direct painting. Um, and you know, there's there's many different um, takes on plain air painting. Uh, there's some artists who will say, "I only paint in plain air, direct observation." Um, never working from photographs or imagination or da da da. Uh, I'm of the ilk where, you know, even if you're painting in plain air, um, observation certainly is 90% of what you're doing in all painting, but the other 90% is memory because you have to look away from mm -hmm. what you're looking at. And, and painting is all about light, and light changes when you're outside. Exactly. Yeah. That's part of it. And then there's imagination. Because if you're just copying what you see, you know, might as well take a photograph, right? At least that's my point of view, not to knock those who are photorealists, <laughs> but that's not my shtick. <laughs> I'd prefer to... Um, I'm trying to capture the energy I feel when I'm in nature, which is the connectedness that I have uh, it's a spiritual experience for me, for lack of a better word, and I don't mean that in any religious, dogmatic way. It's about connecting, and that's, that's the whole thing. And so the paintings themselves are markers in time. To me, painting is a verb. It's not a noun. I mean, yes, I'm a professional artist. I sell my work. But those are the products. They're like a marker in time of my process because the whole thing is the journey. You know, like life, you know, um, we can run our hand around the honey jar, but that doesn't taste the honey. And similarly, painting is the product of it, however present I am in the moment, which I try to be. And for me, it's a process. And that's one of the reasons I love plain air, what you're referring to, Buzz. The light's always changing. And one of the reasons I love travel Everything has changed. You know, this is the opportunity for Rich to talk to Bob Maslow about this exhibit Friday, this Friday from 6 to 8. Uh, that's August 11th, and uh, it's there at the Michelson Gallery. But I wanted to ask you, Rich, when you look at work and consider whether or not to, to display it as an exhibit, do you feel the emotional response of a Bob Maslow in the work that you're looking at, or is it what's being depicted in a static kind of way that's beautiful or not beautiful? Do, do you get the emotional response that Bob was just referring to when you look at a painting? Oh, of course, of course. And it's, you know, I mean, um, 
the show is called Then and There, Here and Now. Well, Bob and I have been then and there for a long time. Uh, I started my gallery here in Northampton in 79, so what are we talking, 20, almost 45, uh, do the math. Um, and I, Bob was one of our first artists. Um, and for me, the pleasure is, um, you know, when I, we take on an artist, obviously, we're looking at what they're doing at the time. But uh, to watch how Bob has progressed over these years and to see him come into his fullness and also the various paths he goes on. Once we are with an artist, we stay with them for life and we follow their trail. We don't say, oh, Bob, we need another painting of this or of that. Uh, he has to go where he wants to go. Uh, so that brings us to what he started out by saying is that we know his craft, we know his vision, then it's up to him. I never know what the next show is going to be. We, we follow and, you know, give the walls, and, uh, and the audience then gets to see this. But I can, I can see a Bob Maslow, I can see Bob in a Bob Maslow painting from wherever, um, you know, I mean, once you really get to know his work, you don't need the signature on the painting, uh, you know, and because Bob's become a friend over the years, um, you know, I know a little bit about how he thinks, where he's going, um, and yet I'm always surprised. So that is, I mean, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for something that speaks to what he's doing and then... You have to surprise me because I imagine you have to surprise yourself. Well, that's a really good point, Rich. And one of the reasons I appreciate you so much as both a friend but also as a gallery dealer, it's very unusual in the current system. You know, we're in a consumer society and we're trying to sell work and typically galleries want to brand you. Branding is what you do to slaves and cattle. You know, it's not, I mean, you have to have a brand, but what Rich is pointing to is the deeper essence of branding an artist. It's their signature style. And style is not something that you impose from outside. As I often tell students when I'm lecturing, particularly younger people, style is something that comes from inside of you. It's you, the way you connect to the universe. It's not fashion. It's a distinction between what the culture is laying on you and what connects you to the universe. And so that's why, you know, my work hopefully will continually evolve and change. And I so appreciate that you trust in the quality of my work and my vision that you're always willing to show the work and be surprised as I am. Um, and that's, that's what makes art beautiful and rich. You know, that, uh, the idea also I was going to say about plein air painting is improvisation. Because everything is changing, travel, the atmosphere, the location, uh, improvisation is imperative for creativity. Because it's, you, you come totally prepared with years and years of skill and practice and patience, persistence, the miles on the brush that we often say as painters. But then the situation throws something at you, like COVID, you know? And you mm -hmm. change, you adapt, and you're willing to throw out your preconceived ideas and respond in the moment. And a lot of the work that is in this show is watercolors that I've done in my travels. And watercolor is one of those mediums that, yes, you can paint it photorealistically, and there's some great artists that do that. But it also has a very fluid nature, which is really good. to Literally, yeah. That's because of its 
medium, it's very spontaneous. It can be incredibly spontaneous, and you have to learn how to dance with the medium. As I always tell my students, uh, listen to the paint. Oh. You know, what is it telling you? You're making a painting. Uh, I'm not copying a photograph to copy a photograph. We are talking to Bob Masler, whose show, Then and There, Here and Now, uh, is up now, here and now, at R. Michelson Galleries on Main Street in Northampton. Uh, Bob's an Ashfield artist, uh, one of our local treasures. And the show is up through August uh, with a opening reception this Friday from 6 to 8. Come meet Bob, chat with him, bring your friends, uh, and then feel free to come back throughout the month whenever you'd like and just spend time looking at this in your own reflective time. We will be back, and I want to talk a little bit more when we come back, Bob, about what this show actually encompasses because the title then and there, here and now, it's not a retrospective. Mm. So let's talk about that in a moment. We'll be right back. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. Tag, you're it. Tom Hartman, weekdays at noon. Tom Hartman Program, your home for the resistance, commentary, conversation, and common cause. Join me, Tom Hartman, every weekday from noon to 3, right here on WHMP. 1015 and 1400 WHMP. At Greenfield Savings Bank, one of the things we love about living in the Valley is all the locally grown food that's available here. For more than 25 years, a local nonprofit called CESA, which stands for Community Involved in Sustaining Agriculture, has been promoting locally grown food and supporting farms, farmers markets, and food businesses in our Valley. And to support CESA's mission, Greenfield Savings Bank is giving new customers a CESA canvas tote bag as a thank you gift when they open a new free GSB checking account. There are no monthly fees, no transaction fees, and you get free online banking, free e-statements, free debit card, and free GSB mobile app, including depositing checks from your mobile device. Our existing customers can also get a CISA Canvas tote bag when they enroll in GSB's free mobile banking or sign up for e-statements. So, join GSB and show your support for locally grown food and local banking. Get your CISA Canvas tote bag thank you gift from Greenfield Savings Bank. See bank or visit greenfieldsavings.com for full details. Member FDIC, member DIF. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member Bill Newman. Local farmers are arriving at the co-op every day with summer berries, corn, tomatoes, and watermelon, and endless bounty. At the co-op seafood counter, little neck clams are rolling in. What goes better with corn and tomatoes than sweet, briny little necks? No time to cook today? The co-op makes pizza, sandwiches, burgers, sushi, and smoothies, and they make it all from scratch. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. Wow, the studio is filled with art. 
Hello, Rich Michelson. We're talking about what's going to happen on Friday night. So we are talking about this Friday night from 6 to 8 p.m. at R. Michelson Galleries on Main Street in Northampton, where we will be exhibit. well, it's up now, the work of Bob Masler, then and there, here and now. Uh, but you can come Friday and meet Bob. You can ask him about the paintings. You can ask him about his travels. So, and boy, you've been traveling. So, uh, so let's... Let's talk about that because the show, as I said, is not, a, regardless of the title, is not a retrospective. It's but, but it's it's a journey through the world. Tell us some of the places you've been and some of the places we're going to see in this show. Uh, yes. Um, well, of course, there's paintings from this area. Um, Ashfield is not Ashfield left out. Ashfield is not left out. And um, Hadley. Different, I saw, different I saw a conversation on the commons <laughs> depicting our beautiful town hall. Yeah. 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 So uh, there's also paintings from Morocco, from Croatia, and Bosnia-Herzegovina, uh, and um, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. Herzegovina. <laughs> Herzegovina, thank you. Um, uh, Mexico, uh, many different places that I've traveled. And, you know, it's amazing because I, I mentioned in the, my statement that's up on the wall there, you know, whether I'm stepping out the front door or traveling to far reaches of the world, you always are here and now, mm. you know, wherever you end up. And that's the beauty of painting. And that's why I love plein air painting, because it brings me to that place where I just am. So, awareness. You so know, just so these paintings were done over what period of time? We're looking at probably from around 2020 till now mm -hmm. over different stretches and different travels so a lot of them were done in plain air some are done from photograph and okay. sketches that i did some were uh, watercolors that got started and then finished here uh, others are you know like the big oil painting on the path which is 48 by 60 i obviously did not bring the canvas in, in right. vietnam uh, was done from a very vivid memory that was like lucid dreaming uh, and um, it's interesting. A woman walked in just after I hung it and was staring at it. She said, wow. She said, I feel like I could enter this painting. I said, well, that's one of the highest compliments you can mm -hmm. paint, mm -hmm. pay me. So, uh, so yeah. were you, um, I, I assume during the pandemic you weren't doing these travels. Um, no. Um, I was painting a lot in Ashfield and the surrounding. Right. I still was painting out outdoors. Mm -hmm. When were you in Vietnam? That was um, five years ago. Five years ago. Yeah, so did you work from sketches you had made while you were in Vietnam? Or did you work there were from some photographs you took? A mixture. When I do paintings in the studio, it's usually a mixture of sketches, photographs, and, of course, a lot of memory and imagination because, mm. you know, it's very easy and uh, to get locked into a photograph, you know, and... Uh, that's one of the dangers that often students fall into um, because they're trying to paint faithfully what they're seeing. But, you know, again, I say that painting is more than just the image. It's the energy field you're creating. Mm -hmm. And you want to convey something of that energy field, whether it be what you experience there, the light. You know, there are many different things that can inspire you. But that inspiration, that connection that you feel uh, art is empathy, you know, at least it can be. And the empathy it can affect you. It, you know, I have said it's not going to, art's not going to save the world, but it can be 
a rippling effect for positive energy in the world, mm -hmm. and that can have change in now, individuals. Now, you spend, uh, you teach, of course, I think, uh, and you spend a good deal of every year in Mexico. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about what you've got down, going down there. I've been there. It is an amazing place. Oh, uh, thank you. And... Uh, do, do an advertisement. Somebody <laughs> might want to sign up. All right. Well, uh, Casa de los Artistas uh, is the name of my place in Mexico, the House of the Artists, um, and Art Workshop Vacations, if you're interested, .com. Uh, I teach down there every winter and going on 18 years, and I bring other uh, famous artist colleagues to teach with me, you know, different weeks, uh, some of the best painters in the country. And uh, it ranges from watercolor to oil to um, even uh, abstract acrylic collage. Uh, the medium, to, you know, like a student asked me, well, Bob, what's your favorite uh, medium? And I always say paint. <laughs> uh, because it's really one's intention that determines everything, at least from my point of view. And, of course, everything is my point of view right. when I'm talking. Um, you know, the intention determines what medium I'm going to choose, the composition, so many different things. And the painting will work when all the various elements are lined up with the intention. You, Bob Masler, just explained by intentions, you're talking about your response to whatever it is that you're, the environment that you're in at that moment. And I, I was looking at some of your work, which you could find at the R. Michelson dot com uh, uh, website, exactly. and of course you can see it live and in color right, right there at Michelson Gallery. You can Galleries. also go through and see Bob's work over the years. But I saw the there was a really different feeling of a painting called Night Out in Harlem mm -hmm. than there was from a painting, a view from the restaurant in Dubrovnik, Croatia. It's like, I, 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 the words fail me in this regard. I'm, I'm with two guys that can articulate it better, but it seems to me that the style that you adopted in response to what you were experiencing really changed from one environment to the other. Yeah, and that was that whole thing about, you know, I was talking about branding and one of the reasons I appreciate Rich so much. It gives me the liberty to respond to the moment. Um, whereas some artists, you know, you have to paint for the gallery, you know, to sell the work. And yes, I'm trying to sell the work, <laughs> uh, and that is a goal, but you're but, also trying to get in touch with yourself. Yeah. What a noble pursuit. Uh -huh. Yeah, and that to me, that's what the art process is. And collectors recognize that. I mean, serious collectors will recognize that. And um, so when you're, um, when you're done with this show, okay, I mean, we hung it. You brought the last big painting a few days late. <laughs> we were okay with it. That's all right. You, he, he's done when he's done. That's all. We had a big empty wall for the first few days. Um, do you feel like now uh, you're ready to move on? Have, like, like, you know, I know when I am finish a book manuscript, I always feel, okay, what's next? Mm. Do you feel that after each painting or when you put this show together, did you, you, you had to choose which pieces were going to go together. And then we mm -hmm. had to decide where we were going to hang them because they speak to each other. Right. Um, so I'm wondering, do you feel like, okay, a door is closed, now I'm going to look elsewhere, or is that just every painting? I think it's every painting, actually. Mm -hmm. In fact, I have a few on the easel that didn't get done. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that went from Morocco and some other places. Um, and so, yeah, it is 
um, you know, it's moment to moment. You know, we're, we have to be as present as possible uh, with the moment, with what's stimulating me, and be ready to respond to that. And, um, you know, we are trying, I, I am trying, to use the art process as a way of staying present and aware. Rich Michelson, this gives me the opportunity to ask a question. I want to look inside the curtain. Do you allow the artist to curate his own exhibit completely, or do you participate in choosing what goes where, which wall gets, what gets hung there? Yeah, well, I mean, um, we, we do the hanging usually, and they, the artist might come in and say, uh, could you move this or this or that, and we'll certainly listen to that. Um, but... Uh, you know, I think I think the artist uh, is really focused, unless they're doing a specific body of work, uh, like you did last show, I think, which was, you know, the people who were overlooked during the pandemic. Um, uh, you know, we come to it with a fresh eye. And, you know, which colors going to speak to which colors, you know, uh, um, I think it's hanging is an art as well. Uh, and you do a great job. You know, and I think that, uh, you know, we will generally do that. The, the artist will drop off their paintings. Um, we'll know how much space there is. Uh, and then we get to work. Uh, but they come in and give their opinion. Uh, you know, it's a collaborative effort. It definitely is. Yeah. Uh, and that's what's wonderful, in fact, about artists who are in the neighborhood and are here stopping in, you know, can stop in, use the restroom, sit down and eat something. So, you know, we get, we get a good back and forth. And I'd like to just add one last comment. You know, I've had galleries years ago when I would go, you know, I was exhibiting in New York and then changed galleries. And I went in with some work and there's a variety of styles, as you mentioned. Um, and w a couple of times galleries say, what do you think? You're Picasso? And I say, no, I'm not I'm trying Bob to be Masla. Picasso. I'm Bob Masla. <laughs> that, that one was already taken. Mm. And so I always say, pursue what's your passion because that is going to speak. And that's what I try to do. What a great life lesson. So, Rich, we one are more talking time. with Bob Masla, whose show Then and There, Here and Now, is up at R. Michelson Galleries through the month of August. It gives you plenty of time to come in when you're downtown. And if you happen to make it this Friday, August 11th, from 6 to 8 p.m., you will get to meet Bob in person. You can tell he's easy to talk to. Come on, have a conversation, ask him about his work. Tell him about what's going on in your life, and uh, we look forward to seeing you. Thanks, Bob, for joining us. Thank you. What a pleasure Thank, it's been. Thanks, Two Buzz, local for treasures. Us on. Thank you, Buzz. Thank local you. Local treasures in, in Bob Masla and Rich Michelson. Thank you each for what you do. We're going to be right back. We're going to talk about this latest NED pipeline and the activists who are trying to stop it. We'll be right back. <laughs> you might get You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The Holyoke Police Department is investigating after a body was found in the area of Muller Bridge yesterday afternoon. 
The Holyoke Fire Department was called to the bridge after receiving reports of a body being found in the area. No further information has been released at this time. Universal free school meals in all Massachusetts K-12 schools, the option for debt-free higher education, and $150 million to make university buildings more energy efficient are just some of the provisions that made it into the state budget, thanks to the Massachusetts Teachers Association. But the union isn't slowing down. Deb McCarthy, vice president of the MTA, says they're supporting a ballot measure to eliminate the requirement that high schoolers pass the MCAS in order to graduate. No longer will we be harming students who's had their high school diploma reduced to the tie-in of a one-time test score. The ballot measure needs to collect around 100,000 signatures to be on the November 2024 ballot. Northampton Mayor Gina Louise Shera is addressing the increased mosquito population throughout Western Mass. The mayor says it's an unfortunate consequence of the rain and flooding from the past month. Due to potential of mosquito-borne diseases, the Pioneer Valley Mosquito Control District is trapping and testing the bugs to monitor them and alert the public if needed. To date, there have been 15 positive cases of West Nile virus in Massachusetts, with four positive mosquito samples in the Pioneer Valley and two in Hampshire County in South Hadley and Hadley. For today, mostly cloudy with showers and thunderstorms, high 74 to 78. Tonight, cloudy with more showers and storms likely, overnight lows 66 to 70. And the outlook for Tuesday, mostly cloudy, chance for more showers and thunderstorms, highs around 80. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP. My partners had told me I should get my knee replaced. I was in my 40s, and I decided that I wouldn't do that. That's orthopedic surgeon Dr. John Herzog, who found regenerative medicine years ago and became a believer. It changed my life around. It improved me to a point where I was able to jog again. That's when Dr. Herzog switched his focus from surgery to helping his patients with natural biologics. I've treated at least 5,000 patients. I believe your body has everything it needs to heal itself. Today, you'll find Dr. Herzog at QC Kinetics, the nation's leader in this exciting field of medicine that can give lasting pain relief with no downtime, no drugs, and no surgery. I have patients coming up to me that I did 10 years ago saying, you know, Doc, my elbow's still working great. I'm playing tennis three days a week. Call QC Kinetics now to explore alternative ways to deal with your pain. It's a free consultation. Call QC Kinetics, 413-992-5450. That's 413-992-5450. 413-992-5450. You're a nonprofit doing good work in the community. You want to let people know? That's easy. Talk to Hannah. Tell her you want to have a PSA on WHMP. If you're a community nonprofit, WHMP helps you communicate. Have an event? Need donations? Volunteers? Talk to Hannah. She'll help you craft a message and we'll run it at no cost. Hi, it's Hannah. Email me at hward at whmp.com or call me at 586-7400. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts, and messages from community nonprofits. Are you or someone you know addicted to drugs? Narcotics Anonymous can help. NA has been helping addicts since 1953. We are recovering addicts who meet regularly to help each other stay clean. We offer meetings and services online and in person. To find one of our meetings or to get information on what services are offered, visit www.westernmassna.org or call us at 1-866-NA-HELP-YOU. That's 1-866-624-3578. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. Before the break, we were talking about local treasures. Um, there is an incredible local treasure in the studio um, 
Well, a couple of them, actually. But Kate Wollner, if there is an important issue that's been percolating in this region, somehow you're always involved in trying to promote good over not good. Kate, thank you for being here. Thank you for having us. So um, you're a longtime activist. Um, uh, so we have now uh, a new issue, not so new. It's an old story, but a new wrinkle on it uh, about a NED. What is NED and what is a pipeline and what are you involved in? Um, well, in terms of NED, that stands for Northeast Direct, and that was the pipeline that Kinder Morgan was proposing to bring from upstate New York through Massachusetts to Drake it, Massachusetts, and then export that. Um, and it was going to pass through uh, um, many rural towns in western Massachusetts, Franklin County, Berkshire County, um, et cetera, et cetera. And th they proposed this in 2014, not knowing at all what they were going to be up against. Um, Joan can tell you a wonderful quote about when Kinder Morgan was flying over Western Mass in a small plane and what so they let's said. So let's introduce Joan. Yes, please do. Well, uh, Joan, you are, you're involved in, well, first of all, what's your full name? Joan Stoya. And how are you involved in this struggle? Well, my husband, Steve, who uh, should have been in this chair today, um, and I have been involved in the North town of Northfield 350th anniversary, and we considered, uh, it was really Steve's inspiration, that this was one of the biggest threats that has faced this town in its history. In a third of a millennium. And for, and for those who don't recall, that the proposed pipeline was going to be sort of, there was a, right in the center of Northfield was going to be the worst portion of this. Because thing. it was to get a compressor station. And so in uh, 2014, uh, one of our select brand new resident to the area, Julia Blythe, had a, a relative call her and say, do you know something about this pipeline that's supposed to come through? And Julia did the research and found out that indeed it was planned and that um, the company out of Texas had no idea uh, what they were up against because they flew over uh, the uh, area in uh, Western Mass, in Franklin County, at night, and there were no lights. And they said, this is like North Korea. Nobody lives there. So we're talking about a Kinder Morgan pipeline that was going to be pumping fracked gas in massive amounts through very large pipeline uh, that were all joined together by thousands and thousands of joints. And the research that was done by all of us, Kate Wollner, uh, resulted in us understanding just how frequently those kinds of pipelines leak or explode or uh, divert wildlife or the thousand other deleterious impacts that such a long, enormous, frighteningly dangerous thing could have. So how did that get defeated, Kate Wollner? Well, <clears throat> The compressor station that was going to be in Northfield, the research was very clear that it was going to be extremely dangerous. You have to consider that they were going to be putting this compressor station out of, out of town, up on a mountain, and for emergency services to get up there, should there be any kind of problem, it would take quite a while. Um, 
the uh, toxic gases that get um, outgassed from time to time if the pressure is too high, that's why there's a compressor station, um, that those toxins would roll down the mountain to the center of town, almost directly down to where the elementary school is, for example. And then um, there was a speaker who came to town, Dr. Norgard, who has done a lot, he's a pediatrician, done a lot of research on the impact on pipelines on children, and the data was startling in terms of asthma and other kinds of... Frightening, I think is a better word. It was startling, but frightening. It, it scared you to look and see how many people's lives have been upended by these uh, attempts at... Uh, at I profits. Profits. Well done. So um, that, I think, is what galvanized people in Northfield. And it wasn't Northfield alone that stopped this pipeline, of course. But I think that, you know, if, if Kinder Morgan's attitude was there's nobody who lives there, they were so off base because in our area we have many, many seasoned organizers. You know, we were able to shut down the Vermont Yankee plant, and a lot of those folks are still around. And young people coming up um, through college and university getting really interested in environmental justice and environmental impact. Um, so in Northfield, our experience was that people who wouldn't necessarily come together really came together around the pipeline, and not just because of the compressor station, but because of the destruction all across Western Mass, and it galvanized people. Um, and this, this pipeline was going to take lands of so many people. I don't have a number because there's just too many for me to remember the number of. Right. But what I can, what I do rem remember, Joan Stoya, is that um, the uh, federal, in order to get license to do this project, it had to get the approval of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. FERC is the acronym, and FERC has a very long history of never saying no to industry. That's right. Never saying no to energy uh, producers. Never saying no to fossil fuel. Uh, conveyors and purveyors. And uh, so we had a very uphill battle against a number of very strong people. And Kate Wallner, you're, I can't articulate it better than you are. It's the power of us that proved that it would, not only that we were opposed to the opposition, but that it would be un unprofitable. Um, yeah, and, and eventually when they did shut it down, the reason they stated, and I don't think this was the only reason, was that they didn't have enough buyers for the energy they were going to be producing. I think they also saw the writing on the wall that we were going to make this as protracted as possible and that, you know, every day it got delayed cost them more money. But I think what's also important to hear about, and Joan is really the expert on this, is why this project, the people versus the pipeline, became a part of our 350th um, celebration events and why, as a town, we feel like it's important to recognize what we and other small towns did against this giant corporation that had deep pockets, lots of lawyers, et cetera. Joan, would you talk about that? Well, what we, uh, when we reviewed all the facts that you two have laid out and thought, this is a story that um, since COVID, a lot of new families have moved into Northfield. It's a great place to live and has pretty good uh, connectivity. And so you can telecommute. And the Property values are a little bit lower than Boston, so it's a great place. So we've had an influx of new people. No one knows the story. 
And so our goal, we wrote a grant to the Grassroots Fund of Western, uh, of, Western of New England, rather, Grassroots Fund, uh, to write the story of the people versus the pipeline. And we had, uh, we came just serendipitously into contact with a wonderful couple, Michael and Carrie Klein, uh, who had been doing uh, oral history work in West Virginia and had been working against the pipeline down there. And so the Kleins are uh, wonderful chroniclers of this and wonderful storytellers and musicians. And so we, can, we hope to weave the story, the testimonies that we've collected, um, and we came and interviewed you, Buzz, and we've got... Uh, about a dozen uh, people who we've interviewed, um, people who were lukewarm to the pipeline and people who were against, and that was the focus of the grant. And we hope to produce a, a video of the production when all is said and done that can be used by other small small towns uh, in order to show them that you you don't have to lie down. You can fight and you can win, and that's that's the purpose of the production that we're planning. I, I, I think that's just such an important message. You know, I, I know I've heard, I've said when I taught that the benefit of history is you could stand on the shoulders of those who came before you, but you see things what, that they saw, but see it from a better perspective. <laughs> and I think that sounds like it's not just the history of Northfield in a sort of uh, boring, staid kind of, way, you're talking about a very important event that happened very recently, yeah. relatively speaking, uh, the last decade of the 350-year well, Small history. towns with resources are targets for large corporations who, who feel like you're not maximizing these resources, so we'll come in and help you with that. Mm -hmm. we'll, t we'll take your trees, we'll take your oil, we'll take your gas, we'll take whatever you have, and we'll... we'll monetize it and we'll so, take your pristine vistas exactly and so one one of the um statistics that we learned uh, the other thing i want to mention is a shout out to maura healy yes because govern now governor healy wrote immediately in 2015 uh, a report that said we don't need that gas as attorney general. As, as, as attorney when general. she was attorney general. And so she's a big player in this as well, and we hope to draw on that report as part of the production. She also included in that report, in addition to we don't need it, she also included that we are, net we are not getting all the facts from Kinder Morgan. Right, right. You, Kate Wallner, you've been an activist for a long time in this region, an important voice from everything from civil disobedience to how to analyze something like this. Dan and Bill and I were speaking last week uh, about why Biden's economy is economic, which is now in the news. The fact that uh, the gains that we've made since the Trump administration ended are not being properly recognized. And, and one of the things that came out of it is, well, people aren't feeling the good economy yet in their lives. I th I'm, I'm mentioning that because what happened with Kinder Morgan and th this Ned pipeline was very personal. It was going to cross on my land. They were going to take some of my land, and I'm I'm speaking literally. I know. My land, we you know, uh, the end of our acreage was going to be lopped off, and they were going to put a gas pipeline fairly close to our house and that of a lot of neighbors. So it 
that's when it gets personal. It's really um, so. You as an activist, um, you have the experience and the intention of mobilizing people when it that things are personal. Profit motive impacts us. So that message is part of what you're trying to convey by a vehicle of a 350th commemorative. Uh, we're we're trying to primarily convey that. It's easy to get overwhelmed and think that there's no path to, uh, in this case, stopping a pipeline. Because, as I said, the corporations have resources, money, lawyers, et cetera, et cetera. But that because it was personal for many people, um, and not just the not in my backyard type of thing, but um, other personal issues as well. For example, jobs, of course, Kinder Morgan said, jobs, 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 jobs. But um, I can tell you from being out there that um, the license plates on the trucks were not Massachusetts. So, you know, the, the idea that this is going to benefit the community economically, frankly, I think it was going to cost the community economically. So, um, you know, the, the strong message really is you know, small grassroots folks joining with other grassroots folks, joining with other grassroots folks, and you you know you've got a mighty machine. And as you mentioned, all done nonviolently. You know, we all feel so powerless so often yes. in the twenty first century, but the truth is together we're empowered. We'll be right back with Joan Stoya and with Kate Wolner right after these messages. Who's gonna stand up and save the earth? Who's gonna say that she's had enough? Who's gonna take on the big machine? Who's gonna stand up and save the earth? This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Buy a mattress online? There are at least a hundred websites that'll ship you a mattress rolled up like a burrito and stuffed in a box. Wait a minute. You and your mattress will spend seven or eight intimate hours together every night for years. Don't you need more than an online video and some questionable reviews to know what it actually feels like? At Talon Furniture, we mostly sell therapeutic mattresses, not Tempur-Pedic. Don't want to mislead you. Therapeutic. Made in Brockton by fellow Red Sox fans. You like eating local? Try sleeping local. Therapeutic mattresses are clean, no toxic off-gassing. Come to Talon and lay down on a Therapeutic. See what it feels like. You can have all the time you need. And we don't roll it up like a burrito, stuff it in a box, and cram it in your car. You won't have to wrestle it through the kitchen or up the stairs. We actually deliver your new mattress and set it up. Talon Furniture, a real store, just down the hill from Amherst College. Are you tired of feeling like a watchless hero in a world full of timekeeping villains? Fear not. Hero Watch Repair is here to save the day. With over 20 years of experience and a heroic five-star customer rating, Hero Watch is the ultimate superhero of watch repair and customization in the valley. These heroes possess the power to buy, fix, sell, and customize watches like no other. They'll swoop in, rescue your timepiece, and restore it to its former glory. Call Avery at Hero Watch Repair, East Hampton. 
Does your partner threaten or isolate you? Do they control where you go, who you talk to, or what choices you make? Are you afraid of what they might do? You have the right to a healthy and safe relationship. If you're experiencing abuse, emotional, verbal, physical, Safe Passage is here for you. It's all free and completely confidential. Call our helpline to explore your options and plan for safety. That's 413-586-5066, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Or visit safepass.org today. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. WHMP. And we are back. The, uh, we are looking again at our um, uh, fight against the uh, Northeast, uh, that pipeline that was proposed by Kinder Morgan. And what was it called? Tennessee Valley Authority, I think it was called. The, t- the Tennessee Valley Gas was the, was the larger. Tennessee Valley Gas. Yeah. And, and that struggle, which um, just per- percolated from grassroots as... Kate Walner was saying, and Joan Stoya was saying, um, their focus is Northfield because it's celebrating its 350th, their commemoration of the 350th anniversary of its founding. But um, the truth is there were so many communities that were active. Kate Walner, as an activist who's always trying to mobilize us and say we have the power collectively, that had to be a pretty gratifying thing for you to witness. Well, I I would really like to give a shout out to um, the women who really were the movers and shakers uh, that got us going. You mentioned, Joan, Julia Blythe, who had recently moved to Northfield. That's when I first heard about it. Um, Katie Eisman, Rosemary Wessel, um, Kathy Christofferson, um, who knew, could look at the big picture and say, yeah, each town has reasons for being opposed to this pipeline. And in the early days, each town felt threatened and isolated. However, we formed the Sugar Shack Alliance. It brought all these small towns together from, you know, from the Berkshires to Orange, Athol. And um, it was the power of these small grassroots, isolated feeling folks coming together and working together. And that's why we're calling this multimedia project the uh, People versus the Pipeline as part of Northfield's 350th. But it's not just the story of Northfield, not by any means. And that's why we want to be able to videotape this multimedia production so other towns and other organizations can feel empowered and inspired and optimistic that you get together, you're more powerful. Here, here. John Stoya, could you describe the multimedia project which you're engaged in? Well, we are ex- uh, we've done a significant number of interviews uh, with key people from that uh, struggle, and those uh, will be converted into a script. Uh, and we've got we're collecting the video, getting the rights to video that is from that time. Some of the big meetings that happened in the area that you were part of and others were part of. And so it will um, we'll start with we'll start in Texas, and will take us through the discovery process where they finally learn who they're dealing with, and um, we'll we'll go through the history of how the struggle em- em- evolved and how people in the valley this really wasn't their first rodeo they really knew how to organize and pull this together. And then we hope to hear from, at the very end, one of the, either one of our legislators or um, 
one of our elected officials to come in. I rem remember in a coffee hour with Jim McGovern about two years ago where he said, I look out my window and I don't see you. And he said, I need to see you. I need to know that you're out there and I need to know that you're backing the things that you say you want me to do. And so we're hoping to uh, kind of live up to that and produce a, a piece, a theater piece, that can help move community organizing along when these uh, corporate threats emerge and, uh, and they violate kind of the sanctity of home, as you've, you've pointed out, your own home. Yeah, I don't know who originally said it, but I love the saying that democracy, the admonition that democracy is not a spectator sport. Um, and so you, Kate Wollner, this, this notion of collectivism and collective response to usually a profit-driven uh, proposal that often is at the expense of our health, our safety, our common wealth, right? What keeps you going as an activist? You've been doing this a long time. Well, I do take breaks. <laughs> um, I have to say that when I feel despair, when I feel hopelessness, when I feel anger, which I do feel at times, it's always collective action that pulls me out of the funk. So in some ways, it's extremely selfish. Um, you know, it's for my own mental health. That's kind of a joke. But um, that, that is really what keeps me going. I am a person who likes to work on teams with groups and you know getting together with um, other like-minded people and being strategic and talking things over and learning from each other that really nurtures me so that's what that's what it is I think yeah that and the enormous salary <laughs> <laughs> we you're definitely overpaid Kate Wollner <laughs> we should also add that we hope to uh, we're, our plan is to complete the production and have it performed the first time in November as Where? part of Where the will it be in, performed? in Northfield as part of the 350th activity calendar. And it'll be one of the last events of the year. And will there be any, for non-Northfielders, will there be any uh, uh, way of us seeing it? Oh, absolutely. It? No, we'll, we'll all of our promoting this like we do all of the activities of yeah. 350. I shouldn't say we. You, Joan, has been a driving force behind the 350th. We have, uh, we've drawn people from all over the region and out of town and as far away from Bo as Boston. So, yeah, we'll be, we'll be welcoming others to come and learn, and that's the point. It's, it's a, it'll be a teachable moment. Yeah, about ourselves, our, uh, how powerful we are when we, when we organize ourselves with others and the importance of speaking out against power. Thank you so much for what you're doing, Kate Wollner. Thank you, and Steve, Lawyer Jones Lawyer. And uh, thank you Come for listening. We'll be right back on Tuesday. Walk through the meadows and the mountains and the sand. Walk through the valleys and the rivers and the plains. Walk through the sun and... Find local news and local talk for the valley. It wasn't necessary, and it probably wasn't even appropriate on the one hand. I don't want that to sound like I don't support schools. I have a long history of supporting schools, certainly longer than any one of those city councilors. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 1015 and 1400 WHMP. 
news, information, and the arts. Northampton Neighbors is free of charge and open to all with a range of social and volunteer opportunities as well as services and support for members 55 and older in the city of Northampton. Need help? Want to help? Join us as a member, a volunteer, or donor. Northampton Neighbors is about more than aging in place. We're about engaging in place, this place. Find us online at northamptonneighbors.org or call us Northampton WRSI HD2, Turner's Falls, whmp.com, a Northampton Radio Group station.